And those uh, resources are available. We've got some hard copies out there in the lobby. You can go on our website, go under resources, and you can see all that and, and uh, print it out or just watch the video again. But it is really helpful. And I do appreciate Sutton putting so much time and effort into that. It's also great having Dio here. I don't know if you noticed Dio up here singing in little English and Spanish. He was the guy with the vest. Didn't look like the other people on the stage very much. The, uh, he's here from the Dominican Republic, so it's good to always be together um, and to have some of the, the friends watching online from the Dominican Republic with us this morning. Hey, I want, I want to ask you guys a question. So when you were little, or maybe even... Maybe even now, do you remember playing hide-and-seek? Everybody play hide-and-seek? I've played a lot of hide-and-seek in my life, and, and I've noticed there's some different rules to hide-and-seek from time to time. Here's my favorite way to play it. I like it when somebody's it, right? And, and then they've got to count to 100, and usually if you're playing outside, like they're, they're counting on a tree, right? And that's the base. And so everybody runs and they hide and, and then the, the person that's it, they get to 100 and then they got to seek, right? And they got to try and find you and catch you before you make it to the base. Because if you touch the base, then you're safe, right? Anybody play that version of hide and seek ever? All right. Is that not the best version? Even if you don't agree, just follow me here. You know what? I believe that hide and seek is a metaphor for life. I think it's a metaphor for life. I think there are different times in our lives that we find ourselves hiding and seeking, where, where we feel like somebody's after us, somebody's chasing us, and we're just trying to get away, and we're trying to get to that base, that safe place. Well, did you know in ancient times, God created a base, a safe place for people to run to where they could find refuge, safety, and security. He established these places called cities of refuge. Cities of refuge. So that people who were being chased, some people who were running for their lives, could come into these cities and they could find safety and security. Now, we're going to take a look at that this morning. We're in Joshua, so we're continuing through Joshua. We're in Joshua chapter 20. So if you want to follow along in your church Bibles, it's page 227. So um, we're going to start in verse 1. And it's a short, it's one of the shortest chapters there. It says, Then the Lord said to Joshua, Tell the Israelites to designate the cities of refuge. As I instructed you through Moses, so that anyone who kills a person accidentally and unintentionally may flee there and find protection from the avenger of blood. So early on, God had a plan to create um, some safe places, some cities where people could run to in case they accidentally or unintentionally killed somebody. We typically would call that manslaughter today, right? And God even laid out an example of this in the Bible. And he said, here's an example of what this looks like. So imagine that two men, they go into the forest and they're going to cut down some trees and, and chop it up for firewood. And, and as they're doing it, one guy's um, got his ax in hand and the head flies off and it strikes the other guy and kills him. Well, what does he do? Where does he go? Because... He needs safety. He needs security. He was not intentional in that, right? It was an accident. So God provided a way. He provided these 
cities of refuge to where people who had accidentally or unintentionally killed somebody could run to and find safety until they stood trial, until their innocence could be proven. And so that's what we see taking place here. He provided a way, because God is a God of justice, he provided a way for these people to have safety and security because there was an avenger of blood who was out to kill them. So the avenger of blood was typically a designated family member whose job it was now to find and kill the person that killed their loved one, the avenger of blood. It's a real thing. And so they needed protection um, from that person. Now, again, what, what God did was he, he laid this all out very clearly and he told it to Moses. And, and we see two examples of this where he was very explicit. If you go to Deuteronomy chapter 19, you can read about it. If you go to Numbers chapter 35, you'll read about it. But what we see happening, and I would encourage you to go read those chapters. It's really a lot more detailed than I'm going into this morning. But what you see is the perfect fulfillment of this in Joshua 20. So so God had told Moses to do these things, to set up these cities once they came into the promised land. And now Joshua and the Israelites have entered into the promised land, and they are establishing these cities of refuge. Um, Now, they were strategically located, so we're going to see that there are six of these cities. And the Holy Land, the Promised Land, it's not a huge area. And so they were established in such a way that somebody could get there pretty quickly, typically within half a day. And um, the roads were supposed to be well-maintained so that people could travel there. Uh, Clear signage so that you knew where to go. And, And interestingly enough, these cities were up on hills, so that they could be seen for miles away. That was God's plan, to establish these cities of refuge for people in need, people that were running for their lives. Now, listen to what happened when people would reach the city. This is in verse 4. When they flee to one of these cities, they are to stand in the entrance of the city gate and state their case before the elders of that city. Then the elders are to admit the fugitive into their city and provide a place to live among them. So um, if you go to the Holy Land with me, we're going to go the beginning of June in 2023. So if you go with me, one of the things that um, you'll probably see are the ruins of some of these ancient cities. And as you'll notice, right inside the gate there is an area, and it looks like a little room, and there's some, some seating areas where the elders would gather on a daily basis, and they would come down to the city gate, and they would hold court, if you will. And they would listen to people's problems. They would give advice, share some wisdom, and they would also settle disputes between people. Additionally, there would be the occasion when somebody was running for their life. They had accidentally killed somebody, and they were seeking refuge. And so the elders would listen to them and to their story, and and they would determine whether they thought, okay, this is legit or not. And and if, if they thought it was legit, then they would invite the person in, and they would put them up. They would give them a place to live within the confines of the city. And there they were protected. They were safe. They were secure. It was a place of refuge. Now, Um, Look at verse 5 with me because it, it instructs what to do if the avenger of blood happens to come to the city. 
It says, if the avenger of blood comes in pursuit, the elders must not surrender the fugitive. Must not surrender the fugitive because the fugitive killed their neighbor unintentionally and without malice aforethought. In other words, what it's saying is it was not premeditated murder. It was not premeditated. Now, as long as the person who was accused of, of killing the person and, and actually was even guilty of killing this person um, accidentally, as long as they remained within the city walls, they were safe. They were safe. The avenger of blood could not get to them. They were protected. But if they ventured out, if they went outside the city walls, there was no guarantee. There was no guarantee. Now, I want you to look at verse 6, and, and there's something interesting in here. I've, I've been looking at, at the second part of this, and I'm still confused. All right, so maybe somebody here will be able to help me better understand what's going on here. But um, listen to this. So it says, they're to stay in that city until they have stood trial before the assembly. So that makes sense to me. So they stay in there. It's this place of safety and security. And then it goes on and says, until the death of the high priest who is serving at that time. Then they must go back to their own hometown from which they fled. So what it's saying is, okay, you stay in the city until you face trial, but even if you're found innocent of murder, you still have to remain in the city. You don't get to go back to your home, back to your friends and your family members until the high priest of the city dies. And once he dies, then you can go back home. So, I started reading lots of different commentaries and all these biblical scholars to, to figure out, okay, so how does this work out with a high priest, and why do you have to wait till he dies? And what if he's a, a young guy? Like, God forbid, you know, like, you could be there a long time, or you, you want an old high priest, right? You're thinking, I want to be found innocent. He dies, we're home, right? That's, that's how I think. But so why is this? And, and I couldn't exactly find the answer other than it seems to have something to do with atonement and how the high priest in his death would atone or make amends for this person's sins, if you will, even though it wasn't necessarily a sin, but um, his, his actions would be atoned for. And so, again, I'm not completely clear. I think it has something to do with atonement and all that. If you can figure it out, let me know. And there's a lot of biblical scholars out there that need your advice as well. So that's that. All right, verse 7. So now it starts to define these six cities. It says, so they set apart Kadesh in Galilee in the hill country of Naphtali, Shechem in the hill country of Ephraim, and Kiriath Arba, that is Hebron, in the hill country of Judah. Do you remember Hebron? Remember we talked about it two weeks ago? Who received the city of Hebron? Do you remember? Anybody remember? Caleb. Caleb was given the city of Hebron. And now we see it again. And this is a place of refuge. It's one of the cities of refuge, which I found interesting. Now, verse 8, east of the Jordan, so on the other side from Jericho, they designated Bezer in the wilderness on the plateau in the tribe of Reuben. Ramoth and Gilead in the tribe of Gad, and Golan in Bashan in the tribe of Manasseh. So, did you pick up on, on this commonality? It was talking about how they were on these hills, on these plateaus. These were cities on a hill. These places of refuge. 
They were high and lifted up so that everybody could see them from some great distance. They would know where to run if they were fleeing for their lives, if they were seeking refuge, safety, and security. This was God's provision. Now, I have a a map with these six cities. And again, the Holy Land, the Promised Land, it's not a huge territory. And you'll notice how they're strategically set up here. So anywhere within this, this Holy Land, you're not too far from one of these cities if you need to run there. And so I think that's strategic on God's part. He had laid it out. He had told Moses what to do, where to do it, and now Joshua was fulfilling that. So um, let me go to verse 9. And, and this is wrapping up the whole chapter. It says, Any of the Israelites or any foreigner residing among them who killed someone accidentally, accidentally could flee to these designated cities and not be killed by the avenger of blood prior to standing trial before the assembly. So notice that. It didn't matter whether you're an Israelite or you were a foreigner. If you accidentally, unintentionally killed somebody, you could run to these cities of refuge. You would be welcomed in. It didn't matter whether you were one of them. Even a foreigner would be provided a safe place. And I thought that was interesting. And um, as I'm looking at this, I'm thinking, so what does that have to do with us today? What does that have to do with us today? And I think it has a lot to do with us. As, as we've been going through Joshua and we're going through the Old Testament, what we're doing is we're also noticing how that connects with the New Testament and how that, again, affects our lives today. So the Old Testament is basically that period from creation until Jesus' birth. And then the New Testament picks up with Jesus' birth and has his life, his death, and then his resurrection. And then has the early days of the church recorded there as well. And then we pick up after that. And so um, what we see in the Old Testament are really these types and shadows, this, this looking forward to Jesus and this looking forward to his kingdom coming on earth as it is in heaven. And so um, you, you look at individuals, for instance, like a Joshua here, and he's a type of Jesus, right? So you look at his leadership and his deliverance that he offers. That's a type, an example of Jesus. Um, You look at the high priest here and his ability to atone for others, his death. That's a type of Jesus, how it's looking forward to Jesus' ultimate death on the cross as he atones or he makes amends for, he pays the price for our sin. We see it also with these cities of refuge. They are a type, a shadow of Jesus and his kingdom where we can run to him, find safety, security, and refuge. The Old Testament is always looking ahead, pointing towards Jesus and the promises that he offers us. So I think it's very valid for us to to really take a good hard look at it. Now, I I want us to consider for a moment some of the the similarities between these cities of refuge and Jesus himself. And so um, in in some of the study came across, there's a a great commentary that I like called Enduring Word Commentary. It's pretty um, succinct and, and just really um, very accessible and understandable for us. And 
Um, really, Kurt found this one, so I got to give him some credit. He was the first one to bring it to my attention, but I would have gotten there. Um, but they, they made a list of these similarities, and I was reading through it. Usually, I think, well, I'll just make this my own. But I was like, I don't know that I can improve upon this a whole lot, so I'll just give them credit. So here we go. So here, here's one. Um, we're, we're looking at the points of similarity between uh, these cities of refuge and our refuge in Jesus. First one is, is both Jesus and the cities of refuge are within easy reach of the needy person. So both Jesus and these cities of refuge are within easy reach of the needy person. So again, I showed you the map. They were within easy reach of anybody in the Holy Land. They could get there. Think about Jesus. He is within easy reach of any of us, anybody that's in need. I mean, he's ever-present. All we have to do is just call out to him. He hears us. He'll respond to us. That's what they have in similar. Uh, Look at the second one. Both Jesus and the cities of refuge are open to all, not just the Israelite. They're open to all. So whether they were an Israelite or... um, They were a foreigner. They could come to the city of refuge. What about Jesus? He he doesn't say, you know, you have to come from a certain background. You you know, if if you're not Jewish, then you're not welcome here. He said, no, I I came first for the Jew, but then for the Gentile or the non-Jew. We think about how, remember remember the story, you may be familiar with this, how, how Jesus would call the little children. He said, let the little children come. So all are welcome. Jesus reaches out to all. All are welcome. The third point, both Jesus and the cities of refuge became a place where the one in need would live. Became a place where the one in need would live. And so remember, again, when you came to the city of refuge, you would live there. They would provide a home for you there. And you would live there until the high priest died. And then you could go back to your home, your family, and your friends. Well, when you come to Jesus, it's not like just some transaction. Jesus, nice to meet you. Thanks so much. I'm gone. Now, Jesus wants us to live with him. He wants to live with us. And one of the most profound, unbelievable ways, he says, I don't want you just to live with me. I'm going to come and live in you. I'm going to place my spirit in you. That's how intimate this is going to be. We're going to live together. Again, similarities. Here's another one. Um, Both Jesus and the cities of refuge are the only, the only alternative for the one in need. There were six cities to run to, to where you could be safe. There were no guarantees. You could run and hide somewhere else, but you are not guaranteed your safety and security. Same thing with Jesus. He is the way. He is the truth. He is the source of true life. You know, others may claim to be, they are not. He is the one. He is the only one. And then um, both Jesus and the, and the cities of refuge provide protection only within their boundaries. Again, I think this ties to the last point. So as long as you remain in the city, you're protected. If you venture out of the city, there's no guarantee. As long as we remain in Jesus, we experience his security, his safety. We experience that refuge that only he provides. And then finally, with both Jesus and the cities of refuge, full freedom, 
Full freedom comes with the death of the high priest. Full freedom comes with the death of the high priest. Again, when the high priest died, the one who had accidentally, unintentionally killed somebody was free. They were free to stay where they were free to go. Same thing with Jesus. He is our great high priest. He's the one who died on the cross, paid the penalty for our sin, our turning our back on God and God's ways. That's what atonement is. He's paid the price. And when we receive him, we receive freedom. Freedom. Freedom to experience life like it was meant to be, just like Sutton shared in those three circles. We exchange the brokenness for the purity that God intended for us from the very beginning. That's what we have in Jesus, our high priest. Now, I want to point out there's one critical distinction between the cities of refuge and Jesus, a critical distinction. If you notice here that the city of refuge, it was set apart for the innocent. The innocent could run into the city of refuge. But notice that the guilty, the guilty run to Jesus and find refuge in him. Notice the difference. The city of refuge was set apart for the innocent. Jesus is there for the guilty. And this is why it's so important, because we're all guilty. There's not an innocent one among us. Now, you may be thinking, well, like I've never killed anybody. And, and hopefully that's true, at least of most of us. You, you know, but, you know I, I, I'm not guilty of, of killing someone. So why, why do I need Jesus? Why do I need that safety and security, that place of refuge? Well, you're still guilty of it, right? You're still guilty of, of actual murder. And, and here's why. Have you ever been angry at somebody? If you haven't, you're lying, okay? So, like, if you've ever been angry, like, you, you're guilty. You ever, like, had some, some bad thoughts about somebody? Like, what an idiot. You, you know, or I, what he is, she is so stupid. Yeah. You ever, I guess, and most of us have even said that out loud, have you not? I mean, even the purest, I mean, Jimmy Yeager, you may not have ever said that, but I know you thought it, right? See, and he's about as pure as the man I can think of in the room right now. And so he's guilty. He is guilty of it. We are all guilty. But the good news is that when we acknowledge our own guilt, we're not condemned. I mean, we already stand condemned on our own, but Jesus doesn't condemn us. When we acknowledge our guilt, we run to him. And what do we receive? Forgiveness, safety, security, refuge. That's what he offers us. We're all welcome. We're all welcome. That's the main difference between Jesus and the cities of refuge. They were there for the innocent. Jesus is there for the guilty. And we're all guilty. And if you think you're not, you're the most guilty. So, I, I mentioned at the beginning, I, I think hide and seek is really just a metaphor for life. 
And I think throughout our lives, um, we've experienced those times where, where we're hiding and, and seeking, where we're hiding from somebody. You know, maybe somebody's pursuing us and, and we're afraid. We're, we're seeking shelter. We're seeking a home base, a place where we'll be safe. I think it happens to all of us. The question, um, I think, this morning is this. Um, what base do you run to? What base do you run to when, when you're feeling threatened, when you're feeling attacked, when you're, you're feeling overwhelmed? What base do you run to? Who do you run to? Where do you run to? Where are you looking for that safety and that security, that place of refuge? Are you, are you looking outward? Do you look inward? Or do you look upward? See, if, you, if you're looking outward, maybe you're looking to others. Maybe you, you look to your mom or your dad for, for that kind of safety. Or maybe you look to somebody else. If you're looking outward, um, you may look to your work. You may look to social media. You, you may look for your safety and your security um, Maybe it's in your, in your physical appearance. Maybe you turn to, to exercise, the fitness. Uh, maybe you look to worldly success for that safety and that security. Do you look outward when you feel threatened, attacked, or overwhelmed? Or, or maybe you look inward. You know, some of us look inward when we're feeling that way. We, we isolate. You know, some of us just, just go to bed, sometimes for days on end. Sometimes when, when we turn inward thinking that we're going to find that safety and that security we want, we, we turn to things like food. Or, or maybe we just try to blot it all out and, and we turn to noise. Maybe, it, maybe it's some distraction like video games or, or it's some form of entertainment. We turn inward. Maybe it's a little darker than that. Maybe we turn to something like pornography. Or maybe it's a sexual addiction. Or it's drugs. Or it's alcohol. A lot of times we, we turn inwardly as a means of seeking this safety and security. But what we find is whether it's outward or inward, they, they may provide what we're looking for for a moment that won't last. It won't last. The only thing that lasts is when we look upward and we look to Jesus. He's the only true place, the only true person that we can look to for the safety and security that we all need, that we all need, I would say, every day, but at least at certain times in our lives. He's the only one that we can look to because Jesus, he, he is that city of refuge. He's the city of refuge that provides the safety and security that we need. He is the great high priest who, who has atoned for our sins by um, paying the penalty, taking our sin upon him, becoming sin and dying on our behalf, in our stead, on the cross. He is our Redeemer who takes our brokenness, who takes our, our faults and our failures and turns them into our greatest strength, if we'll let him. If we'll let him. He is our redeemer. And so 
let me leave you with this question. Later today, or tomorrow, or sometime in the future, when you're feeling threatened, attacked, or overwhelmed, where are you going to turn? Who are you going to run to? What are you going to look to? Are you going to look outwardly, inwardly, or upwardly? Are you going to look to Jesus? Because any other place we look will leave us wanting, will lead us depressed, and leave us feeling hopeless. When you feel like you're under attack, when you feel the need to hide, look to Jesus. Let's pray. Dear God, we thank you so much that you've provided a way, um, even in, in ancient times, you knew that we needed these cities of refuge, these, these places to run to, to find safety and security. And we thank you that all of that was, was pointing us to our need for Jesus. And whether the people were looking forward to Jesus coming or we're looking back and thankful for his coming, we thank you that you've provided a way. And Lord, as we uh, may play hide and seek as kids or even as adults with our, our children or grandchildren, we, we thank you that it's a reminder of the hope that we have in you and you alone. So Jesus, thank you. Thank you for being our high priest, our redeemer, and our city of refuge. We ask it all in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, we pray. Amen.